Hello and welcome to the March 6th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's great to have everybody with me tonight. And I must admit, I am kind of excited to do this podcast tonight. It's been a long time coming because I speak a lot about it um, and I talk a lot about it, but I haven't yet to do a podcast about it. And I don't want to sound too excited because I don't want you to get the impression that the actual drug itself excites me because it does not any longer. But with that being said, let's be real here. Uh, Marijuana has been a huge part of Mr. Joe's life for the most part up until this year, up until January of 2018. Uh, To be specific, I actually consumed marijuana as of January 1st of 2018. And I believe, to be honest with everybody, the very first podcast that I had, um, that I had produced, so to speak, for this particular, for this particular, uh, series of podcasts, I believe I was high as a kite, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I don't remember it. And and that's one of the things that's very interesting about smoking marijuana. And in my case, believe it or not, towards the very end of my so-called marijuana regime or cannabis regime, if you use edibles as well, which I, I did towards the end, um, and, you know, after using marijuana f- since the age of 16, so my God, we're talking about 27 years of using a drug to stabilize my mood, so to speak, or at least I thought I was stabilizing my mood. I had never engaged in edibles ever. And up until the very end, I guess, uh, <laughs> maybe I knew it was coming towards an end and it was time to just go to town with the particular drug. And that is absolutely what I did, and there's no doubt in my mind that I was high as a kite. And again, what I what I think is interesting is people with bipolar disorder, we have memory problems to begin with, a lot of us. Throw in a medication on top of that, such as Lamictal, and I feel like my memory has gotten even worse. I remember absolutely nothing, everybody. It's actually really quite scary. Nevertheless, take away the lamictal and mix in a little marijuana there, okay, for 26, 27 years. And you want to talk about somebody who is completely and utterly, and I believe the word is burnt, (laughs) if that's the word that you want to use. That's what Mr. Joe was. And there's no doubt about it that I, I attempted to manage my bipolar disorder, to manage my mood swings, 
with marijuana. There's no doubt about it. We're going to go through some of it. We have to talk about it. We have to talk about the beginning, the middle, and the end. And what really transpired between all three stages of my marijuana use. And I label it as three stages because there really was a beginning, middle, and an end. And the end just happened recently, as I said in the beginning, happened when I was 16 years old. But before I get to that, let me just uh, let everybody know, quick update on myself and how I am feeling. I don't want to get ahead of myself, everybody. As a matter of fact, it's so interesting because I responded to somebody on Twitter tonight, not a direct message, um, but somebody had made a comment on Twitter and they said, and I'm paraphrasing, they said, am I doing well or is this just my mania? Something along those lines. And I couldn't help but comment, and I did, because what had happened today, after I left work, I walked out of work about 3 o'clock today, and I was parked out on the street, probably about two, 300 feet away, not far. And I'm walking out of work, and as I'm walking in the street towards my car, I felt so darn good. I really did. I felt really good. And I actually found myself talking out loud. And I said, is this me just feeling good or being stable? Or am I starting to develop, to develop mania again? And you know what? It really stinks, guys. It really does. Because I got to tell you, I just don't know. I'm scared. I really am. I'm scared about what is going to happen. I want to tell myself to kind of just go with it. But when you have bipolar disorder and you're more aware of your mood swings, you kind of can't go with it. Because at least for me, I'm always so fearful that I am going to dip back down either into a depression or in my case, so to speak, go up another notch in terms of my mania and hit that irritability button and, you know, get there, get there to that irritability uh, point in my life where, you know, I'm just not managing my mood anymore and I'm snapping at people and I'm yelling at people and I'm yelling at the dogs and I'm, I'm moaning and I'm groaning and I'm, oh God, and everything bothers me. The simplest of tasks and, and I guess the big difference, and here's why I want to say that I'm either hypomanic or just stable, is because the things that I normally moan and groan about and huff and puff about when I am getting to that irritable stage, I could kind of just whistle along and do them, and they don't bother me. And that's the stage I am in right now. And interestingly enough... I also dropped in my Suboxone today, and I have not felt a single ill effect of it now. The half-life of Suboxone is 72 hours, so I fully expect by Thursday-ish I will start feeling the effects. That's one of the horrible things about this medication. Come Thursday, I'm going to be um, up. I used to curse. Uh, I used to say up the creek with no paddle, <laughs> uh, but that's where I'm going to be. And uh, I have a feeling that, you know, it's going to hit me pretty hard on Thursday. But for right now, I'm doing all right. And I have to tell you, we're talking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. That is five days of complete stability. I don't recall the last time that I have been this good. So it's extremely exciting. It's extremely encouraging. And what it might, 
what it should tell everybody out there who is listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast is you are capable of doing this too. You're capable of getting there. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not going to go into another manic phase. I'm not saying I'm not going to be depressed. But what I can tell you is that with medication, it is much more manageable. I can recognize the signs. I don't, I'm not shielded by the fact that I have bipolar disorder. I know that I have bipolar disorder. I don't run around the house screaming at everybody. And if I do, I pull myself together and I'm able to say to myself, the way that you're acting is irrational. Yeah, sometimes my wife has to remind me. But you know what? When I was unmedicated, when I was unsure, when I was in denial, like I talked about yesterday, had my wife have told me that I was being irrational or overreacting over something, I would have, that would have lasted three more days and I would have went right back at her and I would have explained all the reasons as to why I was not being irrational and then I would have told her all the, all the things that she's wrong with and, and blamed her for everything and put her down and, uh, you know, just ridiculous things that are not even have to do with anything. I would bring up about her family, about her sister, her father. I mean, nothing that even has to do with anything. And then all of a sudden I just start, you know, making fun of people and talking bad about people and getting defensive. And here's what it comes down to. I am not that man anymore. And I'm proud to say it. And I am that way because I am medicated. Now, I thought that I was medicated for the last 27 years via self-medication and marijuana. Now, granted, we've spoken about my cocaine addiction for nine months. We've spoken about my opioid addiction for six months. Those were pretty intense addictions. No, they weren't years and years of abusing drugs, but my goodness, when I went and did them, man, did I do them. Okay, and I, I know exactly what they were all about, and I remember them like they were yesterday. And let's let's be real, I am still on Suboxone, so as far as I'm concerned, am I on an opiate per se? No, it's not an opiate. Am I doing drugs? Am I snorting things? No, I'm not. But, you know, I am still on medication-assisted treatment to keep me from doing those things. Am I on a minuscule amount? Yes, I am. Do I even think that it would show up in a urine sample? Probably not. Probably not, because I remember starting out with this very small dose in the very beginning of my Suboxone treatment and my doctor whispering in my ear, the shady doctor that I had, saying, you know, Joe, your urine came back completely clean. I'm really proud of you, but, you know, the bup wasn't even in there. That's the Suboxone. I said, well, I'm taking it, Dr. P. He said, no, I, I believe you. I believe you. He goes, you know, it's probably just a, a mess, messed up test. And that was it. And he let me go. Made sure he took my 150 bucks, but he let me go. Um, so anyway, I, I would doubt that it's even showing up in my system. Suboxone is a very strange drug, believe it or not. The lower you go in your dose, the more of a chance that you have. Now, I would tell you this. If you're on 0.25 or higher, it's probably going to show. Believe it or not, even though I'm not at 0.25, I just have a feeling that my body is excreting it extremely quickly this time around. And I don't think, depending on when I would take that urine test, I don't think it would show. But whatever, none of that matters. Here's what I want to say. 
is that I thought I was self-medicating properly since the age of 16. And let's start at the age of 16. I believe um, in Alcohol 101, I talked to you a little bit about my first experience with alcohol and with marijuana. And I don't really want to relive what I was doing at 16, but I'll tell you this. At 16, I smoked marijuana. I got on 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 a... roof of a car or on the trunk, so to speak, and I held on to the roof. Car was going 40, 50 miles an hour, made a sharp turn, I went flying, nearly killed myself. That was my first experience with alcohol and marijuana. And uh, did I learn anything? No, I didn't learn anything. Instead, I continued into college. I would drink six nights a week, smoke marijuana every single day of my life. I mean, we called it a wake and bake. Let me tell you, everybody, When I went to college, there was not a day in my life that I didn't wake up, roll over, take a bong hit, go to class. You know, these were not, we were not engaged really in little bowls, little joints, things of that nature. We were doing four foot bongs, six foot bong hits, um, to the point where, you know, there comes a time where you smoke so much marijuana that it doesn't even work anymore. It just does two things, and it makes you tired, and it makes you hungry. When I was 16, 17, 18, around that age, and I was living with my parents, you know, marijuana did did do what it was supposed to do for me. I remember actually two, two incidents, one that being with the car, and one other particular incident. I actually remember getting so high, believe it or not, with... Um, and, you know, I don't remember. Here we go with the bipolar memory loss. How sad is that? Oh, I think we called him Albert, okay? My buddy Albert, who was the opiate king, who decided to help me rummage through my kitchen cabinets and turn me on to Vicodins. I'm not blaming him, everybody. I'm responsible for my own actions. Very important, you know. There's sometimes when I just want to make mention of that. When I talk about stories... And I say to you, you know, Albert is the one who introduced me. Please understand that that is not a cop-out in a way where I'm blaming Albert. I am absolutely a man and responsible for my own actions. And uh, although he was certainly an influence in terms of my drug addiction and my drug, not even my drug addiction, my drug abuse, I was the sole reason for my drug addiction, not him. But Albert happened to be with me, and him and I used to... We used to drive around, we used to get high, and we used to look for school teachers that were in our school and try to pull up, you know, it was a very small town in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and we would oftentimes see teachers that were in our high school, and we would like to get high and drive around and pull up next to them and see if we could actually face them. And most times we could not. You know, we would just laugh. I laugh hysterically. And that's what you did when you were younger, when you were first tried marijuana. Because you, your brain was so young. Your body was so young. You didn't know what you were doing. And all you knew was that you altered your normal self. And for me, somebody who really was very isolated at many, many times in my life. And I got to tell you, marijuana as a youngster isolated me even more. Yes, I drove around with Albert, and yes, we laughed, but at the night, during the night times, when all my buddies were going out and they were drinking and hanging out, yeah, I did engage in a lot of it, but I was actually extremely happy 
even more so on the nights where I could just stay home and smoke marijuana all by myself, depending on the mood that I was in. And I found myself to be in an isolated down move a heck of a lot more than I probably should have been. And I was okay with it. I was okay with just smoking marijuana, laying in my bed, not doing a thing, watching movies and eating all night. And that's what I ended up doing. You know, and so, yeah, we laughed. We laughed. It was crazy. I mean, guys, when I drove around at the age of 16 and 17, gas was 99 cents. We used to scrounge up change in his ashtray and pump gas for 99 cents. You know, we'd have three bucks and we'd be able to drive around town for hours and laugh at the teachers. I was innocent, I guess you could say. Little did I know that that was going to transform into my college years. And as I said, I abused marijuana to such an extent that it was morning, noon, and night. And I know that sounds cliche, but my goodness, whatever you want to call it, it was that for me. Six nights a week drinking, seven nights a week smoking marijuana. And that is what I did every single night of my life up until, up until the very first time that I actually quit smoking marijuana, and we reviewed this in Anxiety 101, I came down with panic attacks. And I distinctly remember forcing myself to try to continue to enjoy the marijuana. And each time I smoked it, my anxiety would get worse. My panic attacks would come on even worse until I remember one day that I had smoked... You know, guys, it's crazy because I actually remember having to get up on a chair or a stool, so to speak, because the bong, the water pipe, was six feet. And I am 5'11 and a half, if you want to be exact. So the bong was bigger than me. And I had to get up on a bong, take a hit. And, you know, for the most part, marijuana is not supposed to make you hallucinate. But I will tell you this, everybody. Okay, there was, I I absolutely hallucinated that day walking home. I remember seeing, seeing a character that actually stayed with me for a very long time, whether I was high or not. And I have to believe that because either I am schizoaffective disorder, uh, that those, those hallucinations stayed with me for many, many years. And they've gotten better since I've been on my mood stabilizer, which has me torn as to whether or not I have schizoaffective disorder. It's either that or I spent most of my life in mania, which is very possible. But I remember distinctly walking home that particular day with a six-foot bong after a six-foot bong hit, going back to my apartment and completely hallucinating and seeing two things, seeing a gentleman next to me who is claiming to be my brother and telling me to inform everybody that he was dead But he was going to stick by my side and tell me all the things that I needed to do in life to get ahead. Uh, And I don't mean to scare anybody, but this is the God's honest truth. And in addition to that, I used to have, I I guess you could call him a drill sergeant, who used to walk alongside of me. This was a little more later in life and used to tell me that I was in the Army and I was in the Navy and I was in the Marines. And he would relive the stories that I was um, involved in, I, I mean, we're going to save this for delusions, okay? I don't want to get off on a tangent here. We are going to save this for bipolar and delusions, another episode. 
But again, I remember walking home and seeing these two characters and absolutely hallucinating beyond imagination. And um, it was just absolutely horrible. I came home. I sat in my room. I shook. I, I rocked back and forth. I cried. Uh, it was absolutely horrendous. And from that moment in time, the panic attacks had gotten so bad that I, for nine months, I locked myself in a room, did not go out, did not do a thing, did not sleep. Every time I fell asleep, I would feel as if I was dying or if I was falling. I would wake up immediately. I would sleep about 10 minutes and I would stay up the entire night until the sun came up. For some reason, when that sun came up and there was light in my room, I was able to crash and fall asleep a little bit. So I would sleep for a few hours. I would have my fraternity brothers or my so-called pledges because, yes, I was in a fraternity as well, not proud of it at all, actually humiliated about it, but uh, it was a little different, my pledging situation. I had a whole bunch of friends from home that were already in the fraternity before I had gotten there, so they made my life a little easier when it came to pledging, but I certainly didn't make anybody else's life easier. I was a complete moron. I was, a, I was mean. I was obnoxious, and one of the things that I used to do was have the pledges come over clean my house because I was catatonic and I couldn't move. And after that, I would make them go into my classes and take exams for me during the finals. You know, in college, the classes were so big that you could usually get away with just being a so-called number. So I would make my pledges go in, and if they didn't achieve an 80 or better, you know, they'd come back and they would be quote-unquote punished. And if that meant, you know, doing push-ups or staying up for two days straight, Whatever it was, it was just absurd. And and I, I'm honest with everybody because it's important for you to understand what kind of a person I once was. I was an arrogant, conceited, obnoxious, hypersexual, mean, uh, talk over everybody type of person who thought that he was the king of the world. Honestly, I really did. And maybe it's because I spent so much time in mania. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that that was the very first time that I had stopped marijuana in my life. And I don't want to give you an exact date. I don't want to tell you. I know this. I know I didn't have panic attacks for nine months. I did have panic attacks for nine months. Uh, and finally, after about nine months, I got better. And, and here's what I don't want to give you a number or a date or a time frame on. I don't recall whether or not I continued to smoke marijuana nine months or I, I, I waited a little longer. I have to assume that once the panic attacks uh, stopped after nine months and the anxiety got better after nine months, I have to assume that I did not go right back to the marijuana, but it could not have been long. And, and by the way, I just want to let everybody know, I know this is going to sound very odd, but here is something that might indicate that I am probably stepping a little bit into mania. I need everybody to know that I'm actually hallucinating a little bit right now. And I, I continuously right now, I keep, it's very strange. I will actually see things flash by me and go by me. And right now I have, I am con constantly looking at the door of the bedroom that I'm in. And it, I keep seeing it not open, but the wall that is next to the door. I keep feeling like there's a tunnel inside it. 
and I can't get my brain to stop looking at it and thinking about it. So who knows, everybody? What I do know is I have a buddy uh, who also does podcasts, Bipolar Bob, and he had written me an email some time ago, and he said, Mr. Joe, I'm going to tell you right now that if you're not on one yet, and you've said that you're not on one, um, because we've talked about our medication amongst each other. He said, if you're not on one yet, based on what you're telling me and the things you're seeing and the voices you're hearing, you're going to be on an antipsychotic. Uh, so I, I probably will have to go on an antipsychotic at some point. I just have a real bad feeling about them. And I know Abilify is not the only one, but my goodness that I have a horrible reaction to Abilify. So I'm scared to death of them. I really am. But, you know... That's okay. That's okay because, you know, we got to find our cocktail, what works for us. Right now, these hallucinations, uh, the voices which have not been around for quite some time now, I have to say, they are not affecting my life in any way whatsoever. I've kind of learned to deal with them. So uh, I don't know. It's something that I, I really wish somebody would reach out and give me some information on possibly an antipsychotic that they are on that's working for them. Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com. I, I, I beg of you, please reach out, give me some information on something that works for you. Uh, I don't ask for information a lot, but when I do ask for feedback, I appreciate when I get the feedback. I appreciate any kind of advice that anybody can give me. Uh, and I'm also looking for stories too, by the way. Anybody who wants to share a story, please, I'd love to share it on the podcast. Um, again, everything will be anonymous unless you tell me so to share your name, otherwise it will be anonymous. So, anyway, uh, we got to assume that after the panic attack stopped, knowing me, it was probably maybe most 11 months that I quit marijuana, maybe a year. I could, I could envision myself going around and bragging about how I quit marijuana for a full year. So, let's say it was a year. And at that point in time, somebody with bipolar disorder who is up and down and up and down and up and down and mainly up, mainly up, uh, is eventually going to reach for that substance again. So there I went again, back to the marijuana. And I will tell you this, I, I smoked, I smoked for an extremely long time. I smoked through my entire regimen of medication, which I have blamed doctor after doctor for over-medicating me. And it's very possible that I was over-medicated. But you know what? I, again, I got to own it. I got to own it. Because, yeah, maybe I was over-medicated, but at no time was I doing the right thing. I was still smoking marijuana. So it was very hard to make any call on you know, whether or not I needed an antidepressant. I'm sure there were many times that I walked into a doctor's office after I had smoked bong hit after bong hit that I looked like I was completely uh, obliviated, annihilated. And yeah, sure, I'm sure I looked down. So you don't think a, a psychiatrist said, you know what, I think I'm going to write you out another 30 milligrams of Cymbalta. Okay, so there's no way to tell. There really is no way to tell when you're abusing drugs and, you, and abusing marijuana. I, I don't care. I don't want to hear about, you know, that it's medicinal. Uh, I, I don't want to hear about it because I'm going to tell you, Forget about the fact that up and through college, up into my first marriage, 
with my ex-wife. We abused marijuana to such an extent. Uh, we did not get along. So I'll tell you right now, we didn't smoke together. We smoked on separate occasions, believe it or not. It was, it was really a lot of times just so we could be in the same house as one another. You know, at least she would go eat, I would go eat, we wouldn't have any contact, and everybody would just be high and happy, so to speak, and nobody would have to talk to one another. And to be quite honest with you, and I'm embarrassed to say this also, but I'm going to say it because Mr. Joe is nothing but honest on this podcast, for the entire childhood of both my children, my older ones, Sarah Lee and Junior, I got to tell you, I didn't want to be around them unless I was high. I didn't know how to function around my children unless I was high. Did I enjoy every moment that I spent with them? Yeah, I did. Do I remember it? Yeah, I remember it. Not all of it. Forgot a lot of it. I forgot my, I completely forgot my son Junior's entire uh, infancy. Completely forgot it. He was very, very sick. And I did most of the feedings at night. So I do remember struggling with him. He has ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. We did not know it then, but I know it now. And I remember being very frustrated with him because he went through probably, I believe at the time it was 13 different formulas. Uh, and it was, it was a struggle. And I remember getting frustrated with him. But for the most part, uh, my heart broke. It really did. And I used to, I used to cry with him in a rocking chair, and I used to say to him, Junior, I don't know why. Why won't you eat? Why are you crying? You know, I, mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because it actually makes me sad now. It makes me want to cry because my little guy, Mickey, is going through very similar stuff right now. So we all have our issues. We do. Um, but nevertheless, I couldn't be around my children without being high. I really couldn't. Um, so, you know, very, very sad. And... I managed my moods for up until 2011, to be exact, with marijuana. I was on medication. I was on Depakote. I was on Cymbalta. I was on Lamictal. I was on Vistarol. I was on Seroquel. I was on Suboxone. I was on all these medications all at one time, by the way. Oh, I was on Xanax. I used to smoke marijuana and take a Xanax. And I won't say just one. I'll say probably three or four Xanaxes. And I almost lit my house on fire more times than I could even count. I would sit in the basement. I had a laundry room that I thought it was normal, that I would just open the little window and smoke. I had two children in the house. Yeah, they didn't live down there. But my God, you smell the smoke throughout the house. I used to think blowing it out the window would be okay. Meanwhile, the entire house would smell like marijuana to the point where I had to tell my kids that we had skunks in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, that I actually told them we had skunks. Because as they got older, they start to recognize these smells. Uh, no, kids, you know, it's probably the skunks outside. Uh, I mean, come on, get real here. So anyway, you know, I used to smoke marijuana, I used to smoke a cigarette, and then by that point, the Xanax would kick in, and I would find the cigarette burning a hole in my pants, and I'd be lucky I wasn't dead, and the house wasn't on fire, and then I would wake up because it would burn me, uh, and this is all while I'm medicated, 1,000 milligrams of Depakote, 120 of Cymbalta, 100 of Lamictal, 100 of Seroquel, Visterol as needed, 
Xanax up the kazoo. I mean, come on, let's get real. Okay, I, we're going to do a benzo episode as well because there was a time where I had to wean off the Xanax also. That was no joke. That was no fun. I've been through it all, everybody. Mr. Joe has been through it all, which is why I need to educate you and help you understand that you cannot manage your bipolar disorder with drugs such as marijuana. So fast forward my adult life to the situation with my ex-wife in which I had more or less a nervous breakdown in 2011. Now, this is not my first suicide attempt. That was in 2005 of January. I had a suicide attempt, and from that point on, I was medicated. And like I said, still smoking marijuana to continue to self-medicate as well. But around 2011, and we've talked about this, I weaned myself off a bunch of psychotropic medications, one of them being Cymbalta, being the very last one. Probably didn't do a good job with any of them. I just happened to remember the Cymbalta the best because that was the last and final one and the one in which I lost my mind the most. So, uh, after I had stopped the Cymbalta and I was uh, there was an order of protection against me from my ex-wife and the state against me as well who had uh, taken my children away from me, so to speak, because my wife had gotten that order of protection, the state automatically takes over because there's little children involved. So even though she wasn't pressing uh, family court charges, or so to speak, on me, uh, the state did. And, you know, it almost messed up my entire career. So nevertheless, when I left the home, went to live with my parents, and I found myself in family court, one of the first things that I had to do was urinate in a cup. And sure as anything, when it comes back, marijuana. Now, I think we talked about this a little bit. You know, my, my public defendant at the time had thought that I was going to come back dirty for opiates, which I did not. So I knew I had to get clean, and I distinctly remember being with my parents, not really wanting to go out, being a little upset. You know, at this point, I hadn't gone out in years. I didn't see anybody. I was so medicated. I was so lost. I was so gone for so many years that I, I had no more friends. I had no more real family. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. Um, but I remember being with my parents and my buddy, Tad, who had always stayed by my side. No matter how messed up I was, that was one man that always stood with me. Um, we may not have seen each other because I was not capable of seeing anybody for a very long time. But once I went to my parents and he had found out that I had come off medication and that I was trying to live medication-free because the doctors, quote-unquote, messed me up so badly. Uh, you know, Tad said, I think it's important that you come out. And I said, okay, you know, all right, uh, I'm going to come out. We had a pool party, and it was a friend, went to a big pool party. It was a nighttime pool party. And I had said to myself, you know what, uh, I'm not going to be in court for a while. This is, the, this is the idiot that I am. Um, you know what? Actually, I'm going to correct myself. At this point in time, I hadn't been in court yet. Thank goodness. I had not been tested because if I know myself well enough, I would not take this chance. And I had not been tested at this point yet. As a matter of fact, when I had been tested, I was actually 
I believe, 15 or 20 days clean, and it still came up in my urine. As a matter of fact, my doctor used to test me after that for the next court date, and believe it or not, the marijuana was still in my urine up until 63 days. You know, most people think it goes away in 30 days. For me, after all those years, 63 days, it was still in my urine. And then I went back about seven days after that, and it was no longer in my urine. It was no longer showing up. So anywhere between 63 and 66 days, marijuana stayed in my urine. So anyway, when I had lived with my parents after that order of protection was placed against me, my buddy Tad thought it was a good idea that I go out. And I did. And what was interesting is the state of mind that I was in. I was actually stuck in a very manic state of mind uh, coming off that symbol. After I had acted like a complete lunatic, I actually started to dip down into complete and utter mania. Mania that I remember looking out my parents' window, my old bedroom, and actually seeing the flowers the trees, the wind blowing. I remember everything being so magnified and just saying, my God, everything is so beautiful and wonderful and I didn't care about anything and I was just happy to be there. Meanwhile, I was losing my children, but I was so manic that I didn't care. As that medication started to leave my body, and let me tell you, there was something that used to go on with my brain, by the way, with Cymbalta that, oh God, it was, it was almost like a brain shift that I used to feel. And I used to lay down at night and I used to feel, I actually used to be able to hear, if this makes any sense, the chemicals and the liquids in my brain moving around. And it used to scare the living daylights out of me. That was while I was on Cymbalta. And when I came off it, Uh, Once I got into that manic phase, I would lay down and and those symptoms started to come back where I would actually hear almost like liquids moving around in my head and my brain would shift and it would, um, it's so hard to explain. For those of you who might understand what I'm saying about it, it's almost like your brain moves and you feel it, and it's, you know, you can't sleep, it's so disturbing. And I would have dreams of me dying, and you know, back into that kind of state of mind. But I went to the party, let me get back to the point, and I, although I hadn't smoked marijuana for a couple of weeks, because I was coming off all those medications, I said, all right, well, I'm at a party. Now's the time to smoke marijuana. Guys, when I tell you Oh my goodness, I guess because I had been smoking marijuana for a period of four years with medications in my body, the Depakote, the Cymbalta, etc. I guess my mind, my body, my physical chemistry was not accustomed to having marijuana without all those other drugs in my body those psychotropic medications. They were not, my, my body was not accustomed to it. So I reacted in a way that was very different than as if I was on my bipolar medications. And when I tell you the panic attack that I had gotten that particular night was second to none. 
It made me feel like I was back in my college days. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. I actually had to have my buddy, his girlfriend, had to go. It was a first, although I had had a lot of Xanax in my life. I was at the moment I was trying to wean down off of that as well, and uh, I was doing pretty good. But let me tell you something: I had my buddy ask his girlfriend to give me at the time I didn't know what it was but it was some kind of Xanax bar or something I was used to taking the little pills well she gave me one because I needed one and it took hours and Xanax is a very fast acting drug it's supposed to be 10 minutes boom you know it's done I have clonopins now that I'm on I haven't taken one god I don't even remember the last time I must have a hundred of them downstairs they don't agree with me but this bar that was supposed to kick in in 10 minutes my goodness it did and it was hours and hours it was the worst party of my life it was horrible absolutely horrible I was it was the most high I probably ever was so what did I do? I decided to quit smoking marijuana, and thank God that I did, because I, I had a drug test not some time later, which I had failed anyway. Uh, so now all this story is coming together. Uh, August 13th, 2011, I had quit marijuana. So what happens to Mr. Joe? Mr. Joe goes through court, goes through life, goes through administrative court, makes sure that he gets his license back. He's off all the medications. He's not smoking marijuana anymore. He's going to his drug program. He's even coming off Suboxone because Child Protective Agency told me that because I was on Suboxone, medication-assisted treatment, I was still on drugs and I needed to come off Suboxone in order to see my kids full-time. So I even did that. So I'm doing all the right things, not all of them, really. Well, listen, after you're on Suboxone for three years, you better believe you got to come off. Okay, But the way they posed it to me was not very kind. Uh, so here I am, Mr. Joe's off all this stuff, and he's going to be now. He, he, hey, I don't have bipolar disorder. I was misdiagnosed, I'm telling the world. I was misdiagnosed, so no more drugs, no more alcohol. I had a, had a drink since 2005. Now I'm clean from marijuana, 2011. So now I'm running around giving everybody my clean dates. 2005, cocaine. 2007, opiates. Now I got 2011, no marijuana. Well, guess what? When you are not on medication for bipolar disorder, you are going to reach for something again. And you better believe it, I reached for it again. And I reached for it when I met my current wife. When I got divorced, my third and final separation. Um, so you got to figure 2000, let's see. Uh, we're almost six years now, my uh, wife and I are together. So 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12. Oh, big Mr. Joe. He quit for a year. whoop de daddy do <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, so for a year, I was able to run around telling people that I was not bipolar and I didn't need medication. But, you know, by 2012, I was already ripping into new bong hits and, and bowls and joints because I couldn't manage my moods because I was a lunatic because my wife or my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife now, she had a male teaching partner 
whose wife taught at the same school, and they all carpooled together. And on top of that, his wife was her best friend, but Mr. Joe had it implanted in his head that my wife wanted this, or my girlfriend at the time, wanted this man. Those are the crazy things that I used to say and do. Then she had another male co-teacher. The man, you know, didn't even speak hardly our language. I, and I, I have nothing, nothing bad to say about somebody who does not speak English. That's not my point. I think in order to teach children that speak English, you should also be able to speak the language. And this was a man who could not even speak our language. I met him. He was certainly not attractive. Uh, yet, um, you know, so let alone communicate with the kids. He could barely communicate with my girlfriend. And again, he wasn't an attractive man, but I had formulated and, and conjured up in my brain that my wife or my girlfriend at the time was going to school and having sexual relationships with this man in front of the children. I mean, come on. I mean, please, please, come on. Now, that's part of the paranoia. That's part, that's part of the fact that for so many years I was so unfaithful to my ex-wife because I was I could never control my hypersexuality. So you start to think that maybe this person doesn't love you and they're going to act like you do. Well, no, they're not because the way that we act is not normal when we're not medicated. So no, people don't cheat. People don't run around and have sexual relationships that should not happen just because you met somebody online or because you met somebody in a bar the first night. That's not normal. Or because you're a co-teacher with somebody and you have a professional relationship with somebody. I used to make my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, recite to me her entire sexual history of every single man that she was with and every single thing that she did with each man. So this is six years ago. I'm a 42-year-old man. I'm not good with math, so I've got to count backwards. 42, 41, 40, 39, 38, 37. A 36-year-old man, man acting like a damn teenager. Come on. Putting my wife through the ringer about who she was with? At the time, I tortured her for two years about that. Guys, two years I tortured her. All while I was smoking marijuana. And my poor wife would smoke it with me because, or my girlfriend, I keep calling her my wife. At the time, she was my girlfriend and we lived together. She smoked marijuana with me because she told me that was the only time that I ever seemed calm. And she used to actually say to me, you know what, go smoke. You're an animal, go smoke. So it would calm me, it would calm me, and, and I'd feel better. And then what happens, guys, is the end comes. The end comes... And here we have January 2018, shortly before that, let's go to December of 2017, Mr. Joe's bipolar now has been untreated and only treated with medical marijuana. And yes, I did get medical marijuana. I was able to have a connection, so it wasn't just some junk off the street. It was quote-unquote medical marijuana. Mr. Joe started experimenting with edibles. My God, I was like a chef in my kitchen. I looked up how to make edibles, how to strain marijuana and make something called canna butter, and I would put them in cookies. So we're going to say September, October, November, December. 
of 2017, Mr. Joe is in his prime now. Now, he's not medicated for bipolar disorder from the years 2011 up until 2018. So right right before 2018, the marijuana has now hit an all-time high. I'm making edibles. I'm smoking six, seven, eight times a day. And why? Because now, come September, come October, my wife wants to tell me it was actually August of 2017. I don't remember August at all. That's how far gone I was. That's how, that's how severe my bipolar disorder got while I was treating it with marijuana. That I had no idea what went on in August of 2017, but according to my wife, that is when I completely and utterly became an absolute animal and we have now believed that I was in a manic state of mind for the months of August, September, October, November, and December, up until the point where I came up into my son's room, I believe it was on December 3rd or 6th or 9th, I don't even remember. I used to remember the date, I don't remember anything anymore. And I cut my arms in a way that I couldn't even begin to tell you, sliced my arms, banged my head, destroyed a dryer and a washing machine, cried, rocked back and forth, sang, rapped, did poetry, cried again, smiled, went down and apologized, put my foot through a wall. I mean, I know it sounds up and down, up and down, but that's what I was doing. And according to my wife, maybe not to that level, but it was more or less like that for months for months and months and months. And all while I was medicating myself with marijuana. So no, marijuana, guys, does not work for bipolar disorder. And in order to save my own life and to save my own marriage and to be a father and a good man, a good husband, a good dad, a good professional, a good teacher, a good behavior analyst, a good behavior consultant, a good psychiatrist, a good psychologist, whatever you want to call me. Okay, in order to do those things, I had to recognize that I had bipolar disorder and that the way I was acting was not normal. And in order to be all those things, to be the man that I needed to be, I had to go see a doctor and become medicated. And that's what I ask you to do. I ask you to step, step back and look at yourself and look at your life and th- say to yourself, are you using marijuana to medicate yourself? Because if you are and you think it's working right now, it's not going to work forever. And, and let me tell you something. Even when you think it's working, it's probably not. Okay? It, it takes a real man to look back on their life and say to themselves, you know what? I, w- I was in a completely ignorant delusional state of mind to think that that was something that was going to work or at the time was actually working doesn't work doesn't work so put down the marijuana go see your doctors and get yourself checked out get on some medication like mr joe i want to thank everybody for listening to mr joe's bipolar podcast this was marijuana 101 you guys have a great night thank you one two Bring it to the folks, Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip shit up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble.